you got to love it. You've got to have a passion for it. You definitely have to keep a smile on your face. Whatever the boss asks you to do, drop whatever else is on that list and do that first. Make sure the, the boss is happy and you'll, you'll be good. Uh, and just know that it's a, it's a really diverse business where the opportunities are there if you're willing to put in the time and the effort. And you can you can do really really well in this industry, and you can have a you can have a hell of an exciting journey. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Hi. This is Will Slickers with Hospitality.fm, and we would love to hear your thoughts about this podcast and what draws you to continue to listen or to even start listening in the first place. If you could fill out the survey with the link in the show notes, we would love your feedback. And now, back to the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have Ewan McGlashan, the managing partner of Valor Hospitality, here on the program today. Ewan, thanks for joining me. Ah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat to you today. Well, Ewan, we jump right in on this podcast. What was your first job in hospitality? Oh, my first job. So I, I actually, as you probably gathered from the accent, I am not from the United States or Alabama. I'm from a little town called Pennycook in Scotland, just outside Edinburgh. And I grew up in a relatively uh, tough working class town in Scotland and, and left home at six and took a job as an apprentice in a hotel on the borders of Scotland. And actually, my first job as an apprentice was working in the kitchen, doing double shifts, washing pots and peeling vegetables. So that was my and then on my two days, two days off a week, I enrolled myself in a technical college to do both food service and then food production. So it was, uh, it was probably not the most glamorous start ever. So what led you to doing that? Was that something that was just in the neighborhood that was the job that was available or was someone in your family in hospitality? Uh, you, you know, my, my, actually my, my mother, God bless her, she passed just before COVID. She, she saw an ad in a newspaper, the, this very well-known hotel on the borders of Scotland were looking to take on three apprentices. And it was probably a good time. I don't remember too much about that. It's a long time ago, but off I, I packed my bags and off I went. I got one of the three 
and and so the journey began and it was an it was an interesting one because it was there was a lot of one day I'll write a book about some of that stuff that I can remember I can remember a lot of the shenanigans but ultimately I ended up by the time I was 18 I think I was one of the youngest executive chefs in Scotland so the food production part became a real passion and it was actually that work it was the work experience that got me into uni so based on work experience same thing with with university i did a degree in institutional management using hotels as a base and i i think they took something like 95 into into the year and they took three of us based on work experience so three became a pretty popular number <laughs> that's amazing and so at 18 leading a kitchen was it a big team was it a small team because at 18 you know in the kitchen i like to say it's kind of like being on a pirate ship yeah, it was a it was a relatively it was a look it was a relatively it was a relatively small team but you know they 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 grew us up uh, they they grew us quick in Scotland, so you're worldly wise by the time you're about twelve. <laughs> it was funny. So I was pretty I was pretty I was pretty hardcore, and I was playing rugby. So not too many people were messing with me. Uh-huh, I would not mess with you either with that background. So. <laughs> As you get to university, are you studying hospitality, or you say, "No, that was just for fun. I'm gonna yeah, go no, no, make no. something of myself." A, it was a, it was hospitality based, absolutely. Look, I mean, I I don't know how much of that stuff's relevant today, to be honest, and then I'm not even sure how much of it was relevant when I got out. I I worked my way through uni. I had about five part time jobs, in all different aspects of hospitality, largely all in largely all in food and beverage. A little bit of front office, held those down, paid my way through. And I met my wife, who was to become my wife. She was a student who had uh, who had been born in, in East Africa and Kenya, British family. And she she was at uni. She went back to Kenya. I went over there a couple of times on vacation to see her and kind of fell in love with, with Africa. And then we ended up, yeah, we, we got married and about nine months later, left for Cape Town, South Africa. So I always knew I wanted to get out of Scotland. I always wanted to travel the world. So yeah, about, about 23, I headed off. But up until that point, when I graduated uni, I had a small contract catering company that my dad had, uh, he couldn't afford to do it. So God bless him, but he, he guaranteed a loan. I bought this catering company, built it up over about a year and a half. And when I was 23, sold, uh, sold it and headed off with my, my wife to town south africa so as i said i did everything pretty young and did you have a job set up when you were heading over to south africa or was it say i'm heading with you my love and i'm going to figure this out and i'm going to do something in hospitality well she she was from kenya her dad had died her mom had to be in cape town because her parents were still alive there and she went to look after them and i just fallen in love with it it was it was a great time in south africa it was around 89 90 just as mandela was about released there was a great energy i'd we'd been there a couple of times on holiday and i just loved it so we we ended up no we had about two suitcases each and we took off with nothing absolutely nothing so then how does your career progress what do you do do you start searching the job boards for jobs or did you have some people you knew what did you do when you got there no look we we made a we made a few contacts quickly i got in touch with a couple of recruitment agents uh, and I got a job in a, uh, you know, Cape Town's changed a lot since then till today. And I got a, 
a great job as a restaurant manager in a beachfront hotel called the Bay Hotel. That soon led to becoming food and beverage manager, which then led to being group F&B manager. And they had a bunch of what I call high street retail restaurants plus hotel F&B. So I moved up, I moved up the ranks really quickly. And then I then uh, left them and became chief exec of what was then a, a chain of sports bars that became nightclubs after 11 p.m. Really well known. One in Cape Town, one in Joburg, Johannesburg, and one in Durban. And so I was the group director, chief exec of those three sports bars. Were you nervous making that jump when you were yet, like kind of how old were you around that time? Like in your late twenties? No, still only mid. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll, there's a punchline to this. It's actually quite interesting because that that job that I held as an F and B manager turned out to be one of the best things ever. So I ran these sports bars for a couple of years, and I got a call out of the blue when I was, tw- I was only 27, I think, and it was from an amazing family called the Brand family, who were about to build this luxury hotel on the waterfront of Cape Town. And they had reached out to the GM of the hotel where I was F&B and offered him the job. And he said, no, but if you want to take a chance on this young guy, being really impressed by him, he's running the sports cafe now, you should talk to him. So they were clearly nervous because it was like, I think there was 14 interviews and uh, and eventually, yeah, they did. They took the leap of faith and gave me a job that they pro- probably should never have given me because I certainly wasn't qualified for it because now suddenly there I was, I was handed the keys to a company car and a site trailer office uh, and that was it. And so obviously I was surrounded by amazing people. They'd hired all the construction company and the architects, etc. So So suddenly at 27, 28, I'm learning about how to build a five-star luxury international hotel and then to hire the entire staff, train, build a team around me. Uh, and it turned, out to be, it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. It was, it was absolutely bloody terrifying for the first couple of years. We, you know, you can, build, you can build well and quickly in Africa. And so we opened, we started building in 95, opened in Christmas 96. And then in early 2000, and I'm not being braggy, it's just a, it's a, it's a fun story. This is a, another one you could write a book about, but in early, in early 2000, we won Best Hotel in the World, the Condé Nast Traveler. Unbelievable. So I'm just trying to picture <laughs> this, right? Owners of this hotel, five-star luxury property, handing the keys to a guy who's running upscale sports bars, but that's not, what would you do? I, don't, I mean, I don't think that, would you give you, have given yourself a chance? Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? I'm always <laughs> self-deprecating. I've, I've actually, I like to think I've got pretty low ego. I, I, I always tell people, I always joke to say the job I should never have been given. But yeah, look, I, I was, I was passionate. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd been really lucky to have some really good mentors around me. I was always very strong about leadership. They were, they were a family that were um, very, very high on on culture dignity and respect for everybody, high integrity. And so and I, I, I fitted that, you know, perfectly for them. So it was a good, it was definitely a good alliance. I love hearing it. And so I think it's exciting to hear that, you know, you had the vision. So clearly you were capable of running it because you won best hotel in the world, like you mentioned. How did you start building a team that way to 
to achieve that? Was that a goal or was it just, hey, we're going to be the best we can be every day? What was your mantra as a leader during that time? To be fair, listen, I had a lot of, a lot of amazing people around me. Uh, one of the guys that was very instrumental, well, Chippy Brand, who was the father, was amazing. His son, Charles Brand, was amazing. There was a guy called Colin Hall who had been actually the, the CEO, youngest CEO in South Africa when he was the CEO of South African Breweries, which is now one of the biggest brewers in the world. Uh, I think he was CEO of, of SAB when he was maybe 28. And at that point, he was then the chairman of, of Woltru, so was friends with Stephen Covey and owned the Covey Leadership Center rights for Africa. So, you know, there were, it's multi-layered. He took me through Covey. He made me a facilitator for Covey. The owners let me train the team on Covey. And one of the things that we did is uh, I we probably interviewed as a total as a team, we probably interviewed seven and a half thousand people. I interviewed one and a half thousand to take 150. And 75%, now remember, we're talking Africa and tourism wasn't as big as it is today in South Africa and Cape Town, especially. So, you know, 1,500 interviews to take 150 people. And then those 150 people, 75 had never worked in hospitality before. And remember, a lot of them are coming from townships. So when we're talking about opening a five-star hotel, they don't even know what a hotel is, never mind a five-star. So, so they let me take Covey throughout the entire the team. And then we had three, three months of training. And as I remember, I think something like 200 training courses. And that's where I learned a lot about, about training technique, training material, and that there's only two ways that you can train people they're personal and professional professional is actually relatively easy and i say that with tongue in cheek but you know make the bed this way answer the phone in three rings surf from the left clear from the right yada 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 right there's that professional excellence the personal side is all about emotional intelligence self-awareness self-confidence so you know even today as valor you know that sits at the backbone of all we do and and so relative to culture we want to grow people personally and professionally so that's where i learned that and you know the most amazing thing was we we took a long 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 time to get the people and then when we did the staff turnover in the four and a half years i was there was about two percent wow so you created a great place for everyone to work it was amazing. Yeah, we won a we won a lot of we won a we and I say we because it was we 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 won a lot of awards. But the the energy that we created, even when I see some of those people now today, they they still say to me it was the best years of their lives. They just we maybe didn't all realize it at the time, but we, we it was certainly something very special. And we were all young, so you know when you're young, young leaders are actually amazing because they don't have the you don't have the same paralysis through analysis you tend to get as you get older. That's true. You make wild decisions that are often largely good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we had fun. So would you go back? Is that hotel still there? I, have to, I haven't checked, but are you ever gone back? Are there still people who work there that you've hired? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a few of them now. Yeah, Cape Grace is called. There's, there's not many today. You know, it's they've, a lot of them moved on because the great thing you know, when you're when your best hotel in the world, that looks really good on your CV resume in America. 
so so you know a lot of them have ended up in i mean there's some brilliant brilliant hotel leaders now that came out of there that were even junior managers at the time or maybe not even manager level so it's been great to see the the knock-on effect that it's had and the careers that people have grown from there so how does your career progress from that general manager job what continues on from that hotel so after the award as you can imagine i was 33 years old, I was getting headhunted for different opportunities. And then I probably picked the most bizarre one that my wife hates me the most for, because, you know, I was getting offered stuff around the Caribbean, et cetera, et cetera. And we had a, we had a lovely house overlooking the, the Indian Ocean in Cape Town, but I was headhunted to a resort in North Georgia, 1300 acre resort called Barnsley Gardens. And, and it's a, it's a, crazy story it was owned by the german royal family it had been open a year and had done five percent occupancy in its first year and was and this is 2000 it was losing half a million a month so it was an absolute disaster everybody in my network my friends all thought i was crazy leave south africa for the states like my kids i've got three kids only had two then they were eight and six when we left headed to atlanta and then I took over that resort and, and that was an amazing experience. Again, put together the most incredible team, inherited 140 staff members, got rid of maybe, and by the way, that's not my style. So it just, but if a, if a property is doing 5% occupancy, you don't have a lot, you don't have, you don't have a big talent goal in there. So, so I, I think I, narrowed, I, I skimmed it to 15 and then rebuilt from scratch. And then it was the same story. The staff turnover after that was maybe 5%. And then, Three years in a row, we were Condé Nast gold list and winning all sorts of awards, turned it into this very bespoke, curated, uh, you know, resort experience, five-star, unbelievable, just a great property called Barnsley Gardens, which is uh, it's thriving today. So, yeah, I, I managed to get that on the map. But I, was, I wanted to ask you about that because I was, when I saw your bio and, and researching you, I was so curious about this move because, like you said, it's very different like you're at the best hotel in the world and for for listeners you should just google where this resort is that he went to it's really in the middle of nowhere and like in north georgia right would you explain it that way oh yeah absolutely it is in the middle of nowhere what was the pitch to get this young superstar gm to leave where he is to come to say rural georgia i've got to know the pitch the owners the german royal family fabulous people i had met them i actually said no to them the first time i'd gone over there for to meet them they persuaded me to come over and i i i was like yeah i don't know i don't think so and i went back it was millennium and south africa we got through you you know what do we call it y2k or yk2 whatever yeah y2k everyone survived got through that world never ended computers were working the next day yeah and then and then i i so i was and then i was actually promoted to chief operating officer because i actually uh, i built another hotel for the, the grace group uh but then they came back at me again and said look please we're in we're, we're desperate and i guess when you're 33 34 years old and you know I, I did think it was time for a move I, I thought it was probably right for me i did think you know getting the kids to, to grow up in the States might be slightly better. So it seemed like, and I, I was intrigued by it. It's an amazing place. I mean, I was intrigued by what you could do. And I had a lot of belief in myself 
And I knew if I could just get the team right and get the people around me and curate these amazing guest experiences and take what I'd learned at Cape Grace and see if we could make it work in the States. So I did. It was all of that and more. Uh, and interesting. It was, it was an eye-opener for me because, you know, you always have this idea. I'd, I'd, I'd been to the States. I've got family in Nashville, believe it or not. That's another story for a beer another day. But I, so I'd been to the States a few times, but, you know, we were always brought up believing the States was where it was in service and it was the best in the world. And, you know, South Africa was light years ahead of where America was. So I actually ended up, I was able to bring so much from my experiences in Africa. And, and you know, when you're best hotel in the world, you're, you're going to create these amazing guest experiences. And you think very differently about how you do that and how you personalize for your guests. And obviously, you've got to be massively aligned with your, your staff. So, so yeah, brought all of those learnings and had massive success. That's fantastic. And how long did you end up working at that location? Until I was headhunted back to Europe, where I was chief exec of a startup hotel company called Dakota. And we had one that was kind of our deluxe, which was called Columbus. So Columbus was in Fonvier in Monte Carlo. And then we started building the Dakota around the UK. And I was actually commuting back and forward from the States for probably a year and a half, which is pretty brutal. You know, I was gone for seven weeks at a time and home for, for one or two, which is got a young family. We were actually all going to move to Europe, but uh, that one ended, that one ended badly simply because the, the ownership, it was actually, it's never a good idea when there's two chairmen. I was, I wasn't quite sure how that was going to work, but one from America, one from Scotland, and then they ended up having a, a pretty big fallout. A lot of personalities were involved in the, I mean, personalities as in like there was a Formula One racing driver and some other people. So they, they ended up having a bit of a punch up and that's kind of left hanging in the middle. Although although we had an equity fund raised to roll like $450 million to, raise, to, to roll out the brand in the States, I ended up working between Monte Carlo, Glasgow and Chicago believe it or not. And so sadly, that all that all uh, started to unravel. And I just, you know, I was still at that point, too young in my career to be stuck in the middle waiting for them all to, to work it out. And so I, uh, I left for my next exciting adventure. Amazing. And was your family in Atlanta that time? Or were they? Where were they? Yeah, luckily, I hadn't moved them. You know, it's, I, I don't want to sound like a martyr. It's always difficult in our business, right? You know, do you do you drag your family around the world with you and you move them from school to school every two or three years or do you leave them settled and then you take the pain? So I, I, I elected for the second, but who knows what's right or wrong. You know, I've got friends that have done that, dragged their kids around the world and the kids are basket cases today. And then some of them, the kids are amazing and they're, they're, they've done some of We talk about that with a lot of people because it was you're growing, you're growing your family and you've got relationships and they have relationships. So it's hard. A lot of people do it differently and everyone works out different. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And in our business, you you, you can't stay static. It's very rare. You get a job where you stay in one place for 20 years. That's not highly unlikely. It's true. And so at that time, you know, you become a, you're the CEO of this company, right? At the chief, chief executive, you said. Yeah. Is that when you started kind of getting that entrepreneur itch, like at that point, or do you always have it? I've never had an entrepreneur itch. No, actually, I'll tell you one last little piece. There's a couple of pieces here and I'll keep it quick. At that point, I had actually been approached and I was headhunted to what you guys all call third party hotel management company. I, I hate the term third party, but we might get to that in a minute. Uh, but it was a, it was a, a, a management company based out of Minneapolis, uh, it had been a startup 
and the, the owner had said to me, look, I knew him. He had actually got married at Barnes and Gardens. He said, look, will you come and join me and help me build this, this company and we'll, we'll eventually move, you know, we'll open an Atlanta office, but right now we've got all these projects in Minneapolis. So over a period of about two and a half years, I commuted Monday through Friday from Atlanta up to Minneapolis. We opened, I think, seven Starwood branded hotels in, in a very short period of time, luxury collection all the way to the seventh aloft in the world. And so that was great for me because I had always been an independent luxury. I'd never been in, in franchise. So it was a great, it was a great learning. But sadly, my, my partner, I, invest, I was vesting into a partnership position. He decided that he really wanted the company to be Minneapolis-based and go west and not not be Atlanta-based. And I just, I wasn't doing that. You know, my, my wife grew up in Kenya, then South Africa, and she thinks that Georgia's bloody miserable winter. She clearly didn't spend any time in Minneapolis like I did. <laughs> yeah, so so I, wasn't, I wasn't moving to Minneapolis. And so I was offered a, a job here in Atlanta uh, with a very well-known real estate developer. And he, he was, even though it was that 2008 period, he had been smart with his investments. He, had, he was cash rich and was really keen to start doing more in the hotel space. I was probably with him for 13 months. That's where I met my partner, Steve Sessinger. He, he and I started Valor and I was miserable, miserable. And, and I did something that I've never done, never thought I would ever do. But, and by the way, for about a year, my wife said to me, I was, I was always angry, which that was absolutely true. I do resemble that remark. I was an, I was an angry bugger and, and miserable. And so uh, I think it was like February the 15th or something of 2010, I sent the owner an email and switched off the light and walked out, went home, said to my wife, good news, bad news, good news. I'm not angry anymore. Bad news is I'm unemployed. So, so I actually call myself a reluctant entrepreneur because at that point, even though I had a great network and I had already been offered two or three amazing positions, I said to myself, you know what, I'm 40, you don't know what it was then, maybe 44, something like that. I said to myself, you know what, if, if ever I'm going to do something by myself, this would be the time. And so effectively Valor was born. 2010, although to be fair, I started this McGlashan Hospitality for about 18 months, two years, doing a lot of advisory. And obviously, you know, receivers were taking assets back quicker than you can ever imagine. You know, I was a mess out there. So I was doing advisory. I was helping lenders, doing some receivership stuff. And then I, I didn't know what I wanted to do still. And then got offered a chance to, to open a hotel and then get the management contract. And that was it reluctant entrepreneur to a serial entrepreneur. So I want to talk about that because there's a lot of people out there right now. And, you know, you might see it too, where it's getting hospitality is very hard. And I've just started seeing it more and more where people are reaching out, asking how they can get into that world of creating their own hospitality business and consulting. You did it reluctantly, but when you started, how did that first hotel management contract come up? Because one thing to advise hotels and to do that, did you have your eye on, I want to start managing properties with my company no it was an interesting one it was down in it was in mississippi biloxi and it was interesting a gentleman who had bought a property that was an old condo tower that had been blown out during katrina 
And he had come in to save, he partnered with the guy who actually had bought it to save him. And it was the most bizarre story. Jeez. So this guy that he partnered with had been conned. So he had he had brought in a, a developer to build out the condo tower now as this hotel. It was going to be a, a four points by Sheraton. And he thought it was about 70% complete. So I went down to, to look at it and advise and talk them through it. And then we started to get into the technical services piece. And then we peeled back walls and, and where there was uh, sprinkler heads in the walls, you pulled back the wall, and there was no pipes. So this guy, the guy who had developed it had been skimming the money and taking it and throwing it into other things. It was a bizarre story. But anyway, we got that. We, we finally got it. We got it done. We got it opened uh, really successful. And then during that time, I had started to bring in a couple of people on, on the team with me. And then I really saw the opportunity to, to start my own management company and really felt that, that we had a lot of points of uniqueness that we could bring. And it's really funny, though. I always tell people, this is a good one. I'm sure that some of the people that maybe started will get a chuckle out of this. Everybody always says to me, oh, getting the first one must have been really hard. And I'm like, actually, no, it was actually quite easy. Because when you go for your first one, you just take whatever terms they give you. They just cram you and you just say, yes, sir, can I have some more? Mm -hmm. but, 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 but once you've got one and you go for another one, they, the next thing they say to you, well, why do you only have one? And you're like, oh, for goodness sake. So actually getting the second one was harder. And then I, I got some good momentum. That's great. So you started building that way one by one, piece by piece. And when does your partner come on board? How does that happen? Because some people don't need partners. Why did you think that you needed one as you were growing? I, I, look, I, I don't know what I don't know. And I, I'm pretty clear on the things that I, that I just could. You can't be all things to all people. So, you you know, we, we want it to be full service, which means you're doing everything from debt and equity raise, due diligence, underwriting, you know, right through all the phases. And uh, Steve Sessinger, who I told you had been with me at the company that I left, he is ex-M&A, uh, always been in private equity, and, and had a, an amazing career in the West Coast and actually was the head of Piper Jeffrey over there. And I got to know him really well. So I said, look, this is a, this is a marriage made in heaven because you, you set up the, that platform that really deals on the front end. And then I'll set everything up on the back end, which really was that, that project management and design development piece right through technical services, pre-opening all the way to management. And then I'll, I'll continue to drive a lot of the business development with my relationships. And then, and then we brought on another guy, Brandon Hatfield, who's amazing. He had also been at the same farm. He was the CFO, huge brain, understood hospitality. And, and so we brought Brandon in so he could really head up a lot of that underwriting piece. And so the, the three of us together effectively formed Valor as it is today. That's and amazing. And it's now a global company with 90 properties around the world. I think we're in, I want to say we're in six countries, 59 cities, 135 corporate hotelitarians. Not, yep, not I like that term. Mm -hmm. and, and about, I think, six and a half, seven thousand 7,000 actually at the hotel level. So you all met, this is, I just want to make sure I get the story right. You all met at the place that you were miserable. Is that right? Yeah, correct. All right. So that was a good piece of the journey. Even though you're miserable, you met some important people in your life and then you come out of it that way. So it's, it's interesting to see, you know, because there's a lot of people and I've been there too, where you're in a location, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, and you end up meeting a lot of great people that way. So you're at Valor, you now kind of give us where you're at now, because you just kind of mentioned the origin story, which I love. You start growing. 
how does that pace up and get up to 90? You don't have to give me all the details, but how do you? No, no, actually it was interesting. So, you know, I've always, always had great relationships. I've been really fortunate and I, I don't overthink anything. I think you can drive yourself mad if you, you know, I'm not sure we ever really actually wrote a, a proper business plan. I think you, if you stay in the moment and you see the opportunity, you snap that up, you know, you can't be looking for a hundred percent confidence. You're going to get it right. If you get to 70, 75% and you should jump and, and make the leap. We started to build in the U.S. Uh, one of our clients in the U.S. that we had worked for opened an, uh, an office in London, big private equity firm. They called me and said, look, we've set up here in London. We know you've done some work for us. You're a Brit, but you've worked in America, which is arguably much harder in terms of hospitality management, you know, franchise basis. And we're looking at this portfolio. 11 hotels, share sale comes with a management company embedded in it. Can you help us? So we went over, helped them underwrite, made it to the final two, won the bid, bought the management company, skinned that way down, started to rebuild that, built that portfolio to 20. That got sold to, to a Thai buyer who kept us. And then that same previous client that had sold it's just bought another one with us. So we're up to about 40 in the UK, 68 people there. And meanwhile, we, were, we had our heads down really growing and developing in the US. And obviously, I, I have still, my best friends are in South Africa, and, and I had actually started, we didn't even talk about it, but it's not, not big, big, but I had actually started a separate third-party management company in South Africa with my two best friends. And we were kind of referring to it as a sister company, but eventually it was smart just to roll it in. So, so basically, Sub-Saharan Africa was born. Then we had some great clients from there that were based out in Dubai. We just did a deal with ICD, who's the biggest sovereign wealth fund in Dubai. Uh, so we've set up in Dubai now to to work with ICD to grow a big portfolio across the GCC, and uh, you know so we're we're basically covering most of the continents. We 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 stepped our we stepped our toe into Asia and then COVID hit, but we've got a, quite a few people looking for us to get back there. Um, so I think we've I think we've we've built up a decent wee relationship with with people and a and a and a nice nice reputation over the the last the last few years. We seem so- to have. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it, you know, talking to other people who've been on the podcast, they, you know, we talked to one other gentleman that had a smaller management company, but he said the hardest part was keeping the contracts. They were growing fast and they didn't have any equity in the deals. And so they would build these beautiful hotels, award-winning hotels, and then they would be kind of kicked out. How do you protect yourself from, from that happening? Look, that's the hardest thing about our business, right? Well, let's, let's say a couple of things, right? You, you, You have the floor. Yes. I am not a third party management company. I don't understand it because why are we not the first party? Yeah. Because you got the owner who spends sometimes hundreds of millions and you got the brand who, who are putting on a flag and yeah, they're offering the res engine and the brand support, but who's the most important party? Who's the first party that's there 365, 24 seven is responsible for culture wrapped in commerciality. It's us. So why are we the third party? So I, I hate third party. There's a few people have started to say to me now, no, you're a white label. I don't know what the hell is a white label. I don't understand that. So we call ourselves a, a fully integrated management operation solution. But here's what we do that's, that's different. There's a few things, and I think this is important for anybody who's thinking about starting out. We've invested a huge amount of money in the team. So I know a lot of our competitors, they chase deals, they get them, but they don't have the team to support it. And then they're scrambling and they kind of fake it till they make it by trying to use the, the staff that are at the, the hotel level. So we don't do that. 
it, it is a complex business. So you actually have to be a specialist in every single area of it. So we've got, you know, we've got a massive, amazing revenue management team. We have our own food and beverage company, obviously, you know, my background. So, and a lot of it's high street retail. So, so that's what I call it. So we have our own food and beverage company where we concept, theme, design, curate, and then operate. So everything that we've been building recently for owners, you know, we've built high street retail restaurants that just happen to have bedrooms on top. And then we try not to employ, try to employ from the high street rather than hotel F&B trips. Uh, and then we've, you know, sales and marketing, social, and then we, we you know, we're doing a lot in environmental and governance. I mean, we're, we're covering the, the aspects of the business today that are more important than ever. And then in the training and development, the HR piece is massive. You know, we're in the biggest global staffing crisis of our lives. There's absolutely no question about it. And what's really sad about that, and especially when you're talking about some of the listeners that may be joining the business, it is the, probably the most exciting business in the world today. It's the hardest, arguably, but it's also, it's also the best business to join at a time when, when you think about it, there was front of house and back of house when you and me were starting today. There's so many aspects to the business that are absolutely, I mean, I was touching on ESG or even revenue, revenue management. I mean, there's some real science there or social and digital. I mean, there's some really fun aspects and food and beverage is even, is even changing. So we've set about building this platform and then to come back to the earlier point about how do you keep them, you know, you gotta, you, we build great relationships with owners, but we're not yes men, right? We're not the cheapest, we're not yes men, and the owners hire us for a reason is to protect and grow their asset and deliver commercially strong results. And they know it, owners know hotels as, as consumers, they don't know them as operators. And, and we, we, we sometimes, not in, a, not in an RC like mean way, but we get quite aggressive. And if we believe in something, we fight for it. But the, the only way you can do that is by building a reputation of success and delivering. And I like to think that, that that's what we've done. So we're, when I talk about this culture rep and commerciality, there's that human resource piece. And, and I hate the word staff, employee, associate. So that's why we came up with hotelitarians. And it's worked really well for us and we love it. And we've got this amazing hotelitarian movement going on where, where you know, the, the trips are amazing and we've got the most unbelievable people. And then this wrapped in commerciality is delivering. But, but I think, you know, some of these other guests that you've had that were coming in saying it's hard and fees and stuff is, you know, I, I don't know why we got into this mess. I really don't. I don't understand it. Dropping fees, dropping base. I mean, the base fee was there to cover your base cost, which is the cost to deliver on the excellence. The incentive was meant to be an incentive that if you over deliver, then you get some of the upside. Now it's this, these, these convoluted, screwed up ways of calculating incentives, which an incentive today now has basically become your management fee. And, I, and look, I, I've been fighting it for a long time. I'll continue to fight it. I don't want to get into that game. We've lost stuff because we refuse to be the cheapest. And that's okay. That's okay and for now, you know? So I, I think, I think it, it, it is no question it is one of the hardest businesses in the world. And if an owner, whether it's private equity or a single independent owner, if they're going to spend tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars on a hospitality asset that they want to return commercially during its operating years before they exit, we are the first party. We're the most important party in the entire relationship. Why would we do that for free? I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I, it's just, it drives me insane. And you, 
you know, you can probably hear this is one of those ones I go off on a tangent, get on a rant. So, yeah, I agree with you 100% because there's people who come in almost, I don't want to say fly by night, but they try to go cheap just to get business and it makes it almost impossible for anybody else. Well, they give us a bad rap, right? They screw it up. Mm-hmm. They, give the, they give the management companies like us a really bad rap. And so you're now fighting against that too. And it's not like we don't have enough headwinds to deal with, you know, whether it's war, inflation, recession, you know, entry pressures, you know, cost of goods, supply chain, labor crisis, for goodness sake, well, we're supposed to do it all for free. It's just, just nonsense. Well, let's, let's do it this other way. I love how passionate you are about it. Who are the kind of people that you would choose to work with out there? We've got a no asshole, really. I mean, we, it's amazing. We, we, we sit with, with owners that we get approached all the time. We, we've turned away a lot of business. We're very selective. So when an, when an owner interviews us, we, they don't realize half the time we're interviewing them because we want to make sure that they're a good owner, that are sensible and stable and, and not dysfunctional, that they're going to trust us and allow us to bring our expertise to the table, that if capital needs to be invested, they're on board and they're invested in investing that capital. And then we, we've got to know that we can actually make a difference. If, if I don't think we can make a difference, then we're not going to take the project. And that's, you know, that's all the leaders around the world. We're all lockstep in that. We, we, we work with the same core value system and the same culture. It's consistent throughout the globe. And the no asshole rule is, is number one. I've written it down. That's going to be on my list here as we're taking on, because we're in the short-term rental business now as well. And so we see that dealing with a lot of owners. And as we grow, how do you work with the owners? Because every owner is different. Do you have owner relation team that handles it? Or are they, hey, I don't want to talk to you. Get you in on the phone. How do you handle all the owners that are coming through? It's a brilliant question. You know, in the early years, uh, obviously I was doing the business development and then, you know, I'd get to know the owners, build relationships. And then if they weren't seeing me as much as they thought they should, they were, they were a little upset. But as you build, look, I've definitely have a personal relationship with many of our owners. We have small investment now in, in a lot of the businesses, but I have, I have very personal relationships with them and they know they can, they can pick up the phone and call me at any time. I often say to them, you know, you know, call me and I'll try to answer in three rings. And if I can't, I'll take a bathroom break from what I'm doing and I'll, I'll call you back. But then I've got amazing leaders, you know, here for the Americas. We, we've got Craig Strickler, who's our MD for the Americas. And, you know, now as we start to go after these projects, he's, he's, he's in a lot of these pitches. Dwayne Marshall, who's our chief development officer. So, so they drive a lot of it so they can build their own relationships. Uh, and then the same, same thing around, around the world. And it works, it works really well. But, you know, we, we are very careful about scale. We're not trying to be host. We're not trying to be any, we're not trying to be Ambridge. That's not who we are. It's not in our DNA. We love the fact that we're diversified, that we've got franchise, but we do a lot of independent luxury. You've probably seen some of the stuff in South Africa. We've got safari lodges, wine estates. So we're really selective. And I, I, as long as it's possible in the role of CEO, I want to maintain a lot of those relationships and develop new ones with the, some of the new groups and new owners that are coming in. But we've, we've structured it in a sensible way. We realize that, that there's only so much that, that you can do and you've got you to spread it a little bit. I love hearing that. And so you now have built this great company. You've been growing every year. Where do you see, I don't want to do five years from now, but the next 12, 24 months, what do you see Valor going? 
Yeah, look, it's a brilliant question too, because you know, you know, I mean, you and I follow this all the time, and you hear all these people say, "Oh, going to be a hundred hotels in five years," and then they get they they get one. So <laughs> I, I I tend not to, and I don't like talking and like you know, how many keys are you going to have and how many hotels. It's like I don't know. If I had a crystal ball, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be sitting here doing this. <laughs> uh, so so we we talk we like to look in revenue, and uh, you know, we just had a big global partners meeting down in in South Africa. And I think really our goal, our goal over the next 24 to 48 months is to double at least, maybe triple if we get a bit of, a bit of tailwind, but double the size of the company in revenue, therefore being able to, to truly stabilize. I, I often say to people, I think we're at, we're at an interesting point in time right now. I will say we're, we're almost too big to be small and too small to be big. And we need a few more wins and and to stabilize in a few more different areas and then and then I, I want to I want to make sure that this company is set for the next 25, 30, 40 years so that these emerging leaders coming up now can really enjoy the fruits of their labor, get into an ownership piece, and a and profit share, and then and then grow and and grow and keep the valor legacy going. I hope to see you guys here in Miami Beach at some point. That would be fantastic to see. I know it's a tough market right now to get into, but I uh, would love to see you here. We would love that. And so you and, you know, I always end with kind of the similar question for everybody. You, you truly have been all over the world. You have run some of the best hotels in the world. Uh, but if young Ewan was starting on your team today and he was, you know, coming in to work in the kitchen and it was brand new on the team, what advice would you give young Ewan if he was starting in hospitality? You got to love it. You've got to have a passion for it. You definitely have to keep a smile on your face. You know, whatever the whatever the boss asks you to do, drop whatever else is on that list and do that first. Make sure the the boss is happy and you'll you'll be good. Uh, and just know that it's a it's a really diverse business where the opportunities are there if you're willing to put in the time and the effort. And you can you can do really really well in this industry, and you can have a you can have a hell of an exciting journey, and it won't always be better roses. Let's be honest. That's you know we've all got to have these scars on our back, and and you're going to get a lot of them in this this business, but it's a great one. Well, you and I think that's a great place to end our conversation. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to spend with us. Uh, I'm truly grateful for it. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was lovely talking to you. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.